Hello and welcome to this episode of Self Made. I'm your host, D Brown, CEO. Joining me today is an Emmy award-winning producer and entrepreneur. Please help me welcome the Chief Dude Officer of Durham Dude, Drew Plotkin to Self Made. Drew, I'm happy to have you on the show. D man, thank you so much for having us. Great to be here. Uh, I've dug into your, your, your resume and your background and you, you're a very interesting uh, individual. Uh, but what I want to start is just really uh, in your early years, your early life. Uh, talk to me about your childhood, you know, where you grew up and what that was like. Yeah, so I grew up in the great nation of New Jersey. Um, I don't know if people caught the joke, but the great nation <laughs> of New Jersey. Um, people in New Jersey will appreciate that. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, you know, I, I have a, a book we'll talk about and I get into it in the book and I reference things like, confusion and feeling out of place and insecure and not fitting in and in many ways i don't i don't know any kids in hindsight that maybe don't feel that way but for me that was definitely you know i was i was what you would consider uh you know awkward inside if not on the outside so yeah. uh growing up was definitely a journey to try and get comfortable in my skin uh-huh. but uh i spent most of my my childhood in new jersey and uh fortunately uh we would go down to the Jersey Shore, an area called Long Beach Island, uh, as I got older, and that was that was very good for my development in a lot of ways, socially, physically, just being outside at the beach and being a lifeguard during the day, and yeah. you know all of those types of things. So very different than the reality TV shows, Jersey Shore versus the Jersey Shore I grew up in and knew. Right. So what about high school? What was that like? Were you involved with extracurriculars, uh, or what was, what was high school like for you? Yeah, high school was was interesting. Um, I, I, you know, I, I think it was the first couple of years were struggling more to figure out where I fit in, and I think ultimately um, I realized I, I really didn't have a set spot, and that's kind of been the story of my whole life, and and I've learned to embrace it and lean into it. I, I think there are certainly some people who fit naturally and flow into a certain category, a genre. We used to use the word clicks when I was a kid. I don't know if that's right. still the word. Um, I, I think for me, after, you know, really looking and seeing what is mine, I, I realized that my, my click was not being in one. My click was just kind of developing who I really am. And, and ultimately that ended up making for a good high school experience, especially towards the end, because I, I had friends and associations with people in every single aspect of of it, you know, from whether they were athletes or the kids who were playing in heavy metal bands, which again, if you go back to the eighties and nineties in Jersey, you know, heavy metal was big, crazy hair bands. And usually the kids that were outside, you know, sneaking smoke breaks and stuff in between class periods, whereas, you know, the athletes and the jocks were a very different brand. And, yeah. you know, you had the cheerleaders and then you had the girls that were studying to be hairstylists in life all in the same environment. And for me, I, I really, where I felt most comfortable was, was not identifying with any one specific group. 
just kind of letting myself be who I am. And, and that became my group and the people that were around me more fit into that. And then, right. you know, ultimately uh, my senior year of high school, which is, which is funny, you don't think about it or look back on it, but um, I ended up becoming the president of the high school. And it was a very weird thing for me because, you know, the perception of, of that even later in life, you know, it might come up or something or someone might look in an old yearbook and say, Oh, you were the most popular guy in your high school. And, no, it really wasn't the case. Um, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't the most unpopular guy, but I wasn't that guy. Yeah. Um, I was just me. And, uh, and they're like, but the president always is like, but it really wasn't. Mine was more like, I, I just had a, a way to kind of bridge and, and, uh, you know, like we say with my brand now, but I felt this way in high school that everybody is welcome unless you're the type of person who says someone else isn't welcome, then we don't want you. Yeah. Um, that's kind of always been my mentality, even if I couldn't phrase it or articulate it like I can now, but you know, in high school, that was, that was my way. Um, if someone was, you know, uh, bullying or ostracizing someone, that person doing that was someone that I didn't want to be in their world, no matter what their world was. And, um, yeah, you know, no, I understand. And so I know that you ultimately went to college, um, and, uh, received a degree and before you became, uh, an entrepreneur and, uh, an Emmy award winning, uh, producer, take me through that journey in college. Uh, you know, what was that experience like? What were some of your challenges? Yeah. So college for me, uh, was a mixed bag. You know, I look back at it today and I think in today's day and age, I probably would be the type of person that either would not have gone to college or certainly not right away. I, I don't think I was ready for it. I wasn't a thousand percent clear on, on what I wanted to study. I, I had an idea of what I wanted to do, but sometimes what you want to do isn't actually in line with what the studies might be for that or what's being offered or, or, or so on. So I, you know, I went to a really big school. I went to Arizona state and it was very easy for me to get lost in the crowd. And I preferred that. Um, and probably not to my best interest, you know, sometimes it's helpful if you need to sit in the front where you can't, um, hide and, right. and are forced to engage. And right. I think a school that big, you know, a lot of my, my classes in my freshman year were bigger than my entire high school school had been yeah so it was definitely you know another learning experience um one of the things that i came to realize and, and embrace and it's been very helpful for me and i talk a lot about it in my book um on my journey to getting comfortable in in my skin and with me has been really having a mindset towards that some of the most uncomfortable experiences of my life played the biggest role in helping me become comfortable in right. life right. Um, and embracing them and not shivering and saying, oh, what an idiot. Oh, why did you do that? Why did you say that? Why did you feel that way? Instead, embracing, here's how you felt that then. And here's, you know, what you can do and what you did that made you feel better or how you can help other people or how other people may have helped me at certain times. And, you know, really just looking with almost a neutral lens. It's very hard to do when you look at yourself right. on anything. Well, you know, well, you know uh, one of the keys to becoming successful is being able to uh, learn from your failures, uh, not to waddle in your pity uh, or mistakes and learn the, you know, the lesson at hand and move on and apply it as you move forward in life. Uh, for you, uh, can you think about uh, some failure or moment or some challenge that you had that helped you? Uh, go to that next level in, in life with becoming comfortable with who you are? 
I, I think it's very well said. And I'll, I'll give you more failures than you probably ever could have imagined <laughs> within one person. Uh, uh, and, and, you know, I, I love that you say that because one of my own core beliefs is that we learn more, we benefit more uh, from failures than we do from successes when we can break down our failures. Right. I refer to failing the acronym F A I L fail as first attempt in learning. Yeah. Um, and that's hard to do when you're growing up and it's hard to do when you're in the moment of the emotion. But the reality is something didn't fail because your initial goal and purpose at the start was it was going to go in a certain direction and end a certain way. It went in a different direction and ended a different way. That doesn't mean it's a failure. We're conditioned to think that we failed because it didn't end exactly the way that we had preconceived notions of. And when I started to look back at what I had deemed failures or what society would have deemed failures, I realized that there were many, many successes within each of those. And so for specific examples, um, I graduated with a degree in broadcast journalism. And at the time, my whole life goal had been to be doing what you're doing. Um, uh, on air, being a journalist, um, a reporter, uh, you know, and, and that was, uh, you know, the only uh, career that I had in my mind. And, you know, shortly after college, working for uh, a couple of different TV stations, interning and then getting an actual job with a with a, an, an affiliate station in Reno, Nevada and moving there and going through all those phases, you know, and, and I go into the much, much detail in the book, but we don't have enough time. So, you know, you could go into more detail, but it didn't work out. It, it, I, I did not succeed, but at the level with the point that I came in as when I came in, my goal was to become an on-air reporter there and it didn't happen. And for quite some time, that was the end of the story for me. That was a failure. I failed. There was no other way to look at it. I mean, literally I was depressed over it. It, it certainly impacted my life at the time and, and, you know, had a, a really negative impact at that time. And it was going through life, not just a few years, but even to this day, and looking back at the things that I did learn and experience and benefited from and the victories when I was there. And there were so many of them. I mean, countless yeah. and not fluff, but real things like learning how to, you know, write and put together news under pressure, learning how to how to do live TV, you know, when you yeah. can't go back and fix it. Right. Um, the responsibility involved, how to be succinct, how to tell a story in maybe 10 seconds that you might normally tell in 30 seconds, but having to be brief to fit into a newscast and how to match visuals with audio and right. how to keep things compelling. I mean, I, I can go on and on, but it's ironic because in that one window of time, none of that existed. All I knew was that it was a failure in my small way of thinking. Yeah. And it really brought me down and is not the way that instead of taking what you've learned and building on it. And, and I really, you know, I think like most younger people and, and people who just haven't had the opportunity to, to get that right thought process going, that is really how I think in my 20s, for sure, and probably part of my 30s, I really looked at things. It was very black and white. It was win or lose, you know, yeah. pass or fail. Um, you know, and, and for a couple of years out in California to pay my bills, I had a job as a telemarketer. And, you know, to me, having to do that was such a you know, personally uh, unhappy thing. I mean, nobody at career day says, yeah, hey, I want my dad to come in. He's a telemarketer. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. It's good, honest work. There's hardworking people. They make a really good living doing it, some of them. And, and again, it's it's hard work. You deal with a lot of rejection. But it's not something where you're like, man, I'm, I'm just so excited. I'm 
um, telemarketing. But right. in reality, I learned so many skills from that, you know, perseverance, resilience, persistence, uh, how to overcome a negative attitude, how to overcome yeah. objection. Um, it's the ultimate test in, in, in trying to think positive in a difficult situation um, surrounded by endless rejection. And again, honing certain skills of how to communicate over the phone with a human being that you can't see, that you've never met before, that has no reason to trust you, that never knew you existed until you called them two seconds ago, and how to develop a relationship of trust to where they're going to take out their credit card and spend several hundred dollars with you over the phone. Um, So, you know, there's a lot of variations of it, reality shows, movies, and you know, there's probably some degree in truth and myth in all of them. But again, it was looking back on that, something that at the time I really hated and, and did not certainly did not look at as, as how is this possibly going to help me later in life? And it absolutely helped me tremendously, even with what I'm doing here today. Every right. single right. thing that I looked at in my small mind back then as a failure, every one of them on on some degree, big or small, were had so many successes and benefits built in that truly played a significant role in my actual biggest successes to date. Hey, I think that's the uh, the situation for for everyone that has truly been successful. I think we we I tell people all the time that success is like a a pot of gumbo, and failure is just one of those ing- ingredients that go into that that gumbo. Uh, and and you have so much ground to cover, so I want to make sure I kind of get an opportunity to touch on everything. Uh, including your book that we'll get to shortly. Uh, but you are a Emmy Award winning uh, producer. And, and so you have worked with some of the biggest names in uh, entertainment. So talk to me about uh, that phase of your life, your life and um, some of the people that you work with and some of the productions that you have uh, won awards for. Yeah, so the so the the part I was nominated for an Emmy somewhere along the line, and it, you, not your fault, but there has been something that I think uh, a group at some point said award winning, and it was Emmy nominated for TV news. Okay, so that was back in TV news, and again, it was a huge success at the time. I I, I didn't even think of it because my mind was, oh, we didn't win the Emmy, so I never spoke about it. Okay. and then as I got older, people said, wait, you were nominated for an Emmy, and you were you know twenty or early twenties, and you were producing a newscast and. That's a big deal. Right. You know? Right. And, uh, you know, and it, it was one of those things again where it's your it's your mindset. But I did come out to California um, after my TV news career sputtered. Um, I did, you know, kind of I don't know if I found my way into or forced my way into or dropped my way into the world of of commercials. But again, that was very self-starting. Um, I did not go to film school. I did not have any quote unquote connections. Um, uh, you know, I, I literally was managing an apartment building to get free rent. I was telemarketing to make some money. I was bartending at night and I came upon a guy who was teaching yoga in Santa Monica and there were lines around the corner to take his yoga class. It was 25 years ago, I think. Nobody was really talking about yoga. It wasn't mainstream. If anything, people had very preconceived wrong ideas about it. Right. And I was like, man, there's all these celebrities and supermodels lining up to take this yoga class and they're all in incredible shape and they're raving about it. So I literally met the guy and I went over to the public library and I 
got an agreement. I photocopied an agreement to be a talent manager of some sort because that's the agreement that I found. And he and I worked out an arrangement where I was going to represent him and I was going to market him and I was going to raise money and pitch him and we were going to create a big TV campaign behind all of these videos that we would produce and, and, and sell millions of them. And as stupid and odd and far-flung as that sounds, the reality is we actually did that. It took about two or three years, mm -hmm. uh, but we did it. And we did end up producing a major TV campaign, infomercial, uh, video series, all of those different things. And again, that process, doing that, I, I really refer to as, as like my, my, my MBA, my real college education, spending two to three years knocking on every single door, cold calling, pitching, trying to convince people that that I knew something about this industry, fitness, direct response that I'd never been in a day in my life. But my telemarketing skills came in, my TV news skills had come in, all of the things that I'd failed at previously in my mind yeah. were now the same tools that I was using to end up raising you know, a significant amount of money and getting this whole thing produced and put together and being a part of it. And that that really was the, the first breakthrough for me, getting into any type of TV commercial world. And really after that, for you know, 15, 20 years, it really was like this. Like I, I if you did a chart or a graph, it was like, you know, slow, dun, 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 boom, dun, dun, dun. and you have these these jumps that just when they come, and you know, for me, um, you know, one, one of the first commercials I ever directed was with Paris Hilton. And I, I still say to this day, I think they made a mistake and called the wrong Drew. And I would say <laughs> to my friends, dri driving to set, I'm like, I think they're going to call me. And the guy's like, why don't you have your phone out? And I'm like, because I'm afraid they're going to call me and say, we got the wrong guy. Don't come. And, <laughs> and even until I filmed the commercial and it was done and I was leaving, I'm like getting in my car quick before. <laughs> like, wait a minute. Were that the right? And, and it's a funny world. But, um, you know, once you start working in the world of celebrities, each bit helps. I mean, it's kind of a certain mentality. I mean, the work that you do is critical. I mean, nobody's going to hire you, bring you back, recommend you if you're not doing great work. Right. And, I was very fortunate in my TV uh, California career in, in production. I, I was surrounded and was able to surround myself with some really great, great influences and great people that, you know, were very generous with their time, um, learning from them, you know, DPs, gaffers, uh, art directors. And, you know, Hollywood and, and production can be a really cutthroat, vicious world. You can deal with a lot of people who are egomaniacs who just like to scream and yell and think about themselves. And I've seen all of that. And, it's not the world I wanted to be in. So the people that I was lucky enough to surround myself with, I learned a lot from, and I really spent a lot of time in those early years talking very little and absorbing and learning and applying it and just putting one foot in front of the other. And it really did just build. It built because every single job that we got as I started my own agency, um, I really treated every single job, every account, every client like it could be my last. Yeah. And and what would you do? Even when we had 15 clients and we're doing you know 10 million plus a year in billings and I had a staff of 40 plus people, I still would treat every single account project as if it could be our last. Um, not out of panic or fear, but out of making sure that I never got lazy, that I never would have my team, the people around me be lazy, not take anything for granted and, and always learning, always trying to get yeah. better. 
Um, not, not just doing better for the client, doing better for us, for ourselves. I, I read somewhere once that when you stop learning, you stop living. And I believe that. Um, so I, I really do try to learn and grow with anything I touch any given day. You have to be a lifelong learner to, uh, to sustain success. I, I believe that truly you have to be a lifelong learner. So talk to me about your transition from uh, your, your production business to Durham Dude and, and, and tell me more about Durham Dude and, and what you're doing in that area. Yeah, so, I mean, we had a great run, um, you know, 15, 20 years. And over time, you look back and, and you know, uh, people are like, oh, well, you directed Jennifer Lopez and Cindy Crawford and, you know, you filmed with Serena Williams and all, you know, Dwayne Wade and, and, and Drew Brees. And, you know, the people would know this more than I did because I wasn't really tracking it. I wasn't building a resume. At this point, people knew who we were. They knew who I was. They called us. They hired me. So I, I was not really, I never worried about a resume. I always felt that the work would speak for itself, but I look back and, and we had done a lot. We had achieved a lot and we'd had a lot of success and it uh, was very fortunate, very blessed around a lot of great people that, that played a big role in it. And then uh, right before, shortly before COVID hit, um, two things were happening. One is my personal tattoo collection continued to grow. Um, it just did. <laughs> it was a whole separate story, and I go into it in the book. Um, and I was on a trip to Bali uh, where I was doing a, a bit of a tattoo healing trip. I had been through a pretty traumatic event in my life that I, I wanted to in some way address within a tattoo, but it was not just a, a normal tattoo. So I, I sought out a specific artist. Uh, he was in Bali, so I flew to Bali. We spent a day just talking about tattoos, tattoo philosophy, what this tattoo would mean as he helped develop it. Then he spent two days tattooing it across my chest, which is a lot of needle time, a lot of trauma to the skin, the chest. I had about 20 hours left before I had to fly back to America. So I did the stupidest thing uh, anyone could ever imagine in general with a brand new open tattoo is I went and decided to hike a uh, active volcano to see the sunrise. Um, and uh, there's a volcano called Mount Pator. It's a touristy thing, but it is volcanic ash and rock. And you start climbing at 3, 4 a.m., pitch black, and you get up right when the sun rises. Ideally, you get this beautiful view, which is great. And we did. But when I got back down to the mountain, uh, about to get in the car on the way back to the airport to fly back to America, I went to tug on my white T-shirt I was wearing and realized it was completely black. And at first I was like, ah, I thought I was wearing a white T-shirt this morning. And I touched it and all this soot and ash and volcanic rock. Oh, wow. And I go, okay, this was a white T-shirt. This is a black T-shirt now from the... And it was sticking to the, you know, because a tattoo continues to ooze plasma and fluids. And if it's not wrapped and... I'm actually not a huge fan of rapping, but that's a whole separate thing. But you also should not go climb a volcano uh, or go on hiking. I would agree, yeah. Excuse me, right after, right after uh, that. So I was convinced that this thing was going to get infected badly. And I was not even going to be able to go back to my hotel and shower. I was already checked out. My driver was taking me to the airport. We were in a town, a city called Ubud, U-B-U-D in Bali, which coincidentally means healing or medicine. So I ran into some local stores and I got any aloe, any lotion, potion, anything hydrating, anything cleansing. And I stuffed it all in my carry-on bag. And on that flight home, I became my own mini uh, <laughs> guinea pig. Uh, and I fortunately did clean it out well enough and, and at least kept it hydrated and clean enough where it never did infect. So that was the positive. Then I came back to work and 
our primary world had been skincare lines, celebrity skincare lines for women, hair, helping women. That's our dog, our chief dude dog um, <laughs> in the background. Um, so it had been uh, working in the women's beauty, personal care field had been a lot of what we've been doing. So I was very versed in it. I'd worked with a lot of labs, dermatologists, experts over the years. And I, I was just walked in. I said, I, I want to do, you know, a tattoo line. There's, there's not tattoo products for real tattoo collectors made by tattoo people. Um, and it was just really one of those things that it was, I was tunnel vision. I didn't think of the business model. I didn't think of the approach. I didn't think of anything else that had to go into it. I was going to develop a tattoo line. And we started going down that path along the way. And while that was happening, some other things in my life started happening, which was COVID hit. So all of our production business had gotten shut down overnight. So now I had a staff of 30 something people, all of our assets were like frozen or tied up. There was no money coming in, in that window. And I personally, in my own life relationship was going through a end of a relationship after 25 years and approaching the age of 50. And I started to become more cognizant of things that, you know, when you're with the same person for 20, 25 years, maybe you don't think of those things as much as you would or should. And I started looking at uh, men's grooming much more, not even as a marketing thing, but for myself. And as someone who had been in the world of skincare and hair care and product development for all these years, I realized looking around that I personally could not find any men's grooming brands or products that I personally felt were really formulated by guys like me hey, for guys Drew, like me. I, I, Drew, I don't want to cut you off, but we're about to run out of time. So I need you to do one thing for me. Tell me about your book. You got about 30 to 45 seconds to tell me about your book and uh, we'll try to close the show out. You got it, brother. So this is my book. It's called Under My Skin. Uh, and it really takes the reader on a true journey written by myself from a kid in New Jersey out to Hollywood, directing, working with all the celebrities, and then ultimately developing my own brand, Derm Dude, which has since gone viral. And it is for men's grooming balls, beard, tattoos, and just everything a dude and a guy really wants and should be using. And where, where can skin. you find Derm Dude? DermDude.com. D-E-R-M-D-U-D-E.com. And we're there. You, you've had a, a really interesting uh, journey, Drew. I wish I had more time so we can, um, can talk more. I, I'm going to have to bring you back for a second episode to just really just do the whole second half of your life. I feel like I'm, I'm leaving so much, uh, so much untold. Uh, but I, I, I you know, but I, I appreciate you. I appreciate you sharing your stories, uh, your journey. Uh, I think that it would, you know, inspire people that, that hear about you. And, and, and I really thank you for being on the show. And so to my viewers, thank you for watching this episode of Self Made. I'm your host, D Brown CEO. And remember, without you, there's no me.